Welcome to the James Quandall Show, the space where I interview the world's experts and share how you can live your life to the fullest and build the life of your dreams. Today's guest is Brad Ritter, the author of the book School of Grit. After graduating from Kokoro Camp in 2015, Brad wanted to find a way to serve others and help people take control of their lives and get unstuck. He accomplishes this through a proven system that focuses on your physical, mental, emotional, and warrior spirit. Brad's job is to help you achieve a goal or produce a certain result. We discussed how your kids will remember when you're around, so you've got to spend time with them. And after 17 years of marriage, why Brad thinks it's just as important as ever to date his spouse. And that your kids know what's going on in the house, even at a young age. So if you don't think so, you're telling yourself a lie. Brad had a revelation and shared the subtle difference between quitting and giving up, which has been extremely helpful for me already. Are you a people pleaser? If yes, Brad shares that you need to stop saying yes to everything and teach yourself how to say no. Finally, we discussed how to turn off the internal chatter and the resistance by figuring out the real reason you're working on a difficult task or project. There's so much value in this episode, so please give it a listen and send me a message with your thoughts at James Quandall on Instagram or Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe or follow and share this episode with a friend. We were talking before I hit record and just to back up for a second we were really talking about society as a whole. And there was two things I brought up. One was in the book, and uh, Brad was talking about how he feels we've gotten soft as a society. And then I also mentioned how I noticed how a lot of times people know what they need to do to feel better. We were talking about someone recovering from an injury or something. But then they'll do like the bare minimum and then never actually get there. And I thought Brad could really help us with embracing the suck, setting big goals, and just like getting tough because you you can't really succeed as a parent or a spouse or as a worker or in anything unless you're willing to get dirty. So um, really just what are your thoughts on that? Why, Why did you write in the book that you feel like we've gotten soft as a society? Because we have, <laughs> it's just my own, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's Brad Ritter's thoughts right there. But I, I just, I took stock and still am just of what's going on. I'm just of the belief we're living in probably the, one of the easiest generations ever. I think a lot of that's just due to technology and the way certain things have evolved. But I mean, take a look around you. It's like, I'm, I'm talking to you right now. My room's set on 72. I'm on a walking treadmill, which allows me to walk and talk as we're doing this. Um, if I want to order something, I could go to Amazon Prime and have it in a day. And I get mad when it shows up two, three days later. Gone are the days of, you know, waiting weeks to get stuff more often than not. It's just, uh, it's one thing after another. And um, I think we've just conditioned ourselves to take the easy route. And somewhere along the line, I think we've lost sort of the joy of, of hard work. And in particular, uh, as a parent, because I'm a parent of two two children, I have a daughter who's 11 and a son that's eight. I mean, that's something that I'm definitely trying to instill in them is just hard work and and going after what you want. And um, hey, I'm no different. We live in a we live in a nice neighborhood, nice affluent neighborhood. A lot of kids around here have you know, motorized bikes and, and their stuff. And 
Uh, my, my kids do not because <laughs> I'm like, hey, you got two legs, use them. You know what I mean? Use them. You, hey, you got a bike. You can ride that bike. You know, I'm not saying you can't eventually get something like that. But, yeah, I just, uh, to your point, I, I do think society has gotten uh, pretty soft in a lot of ways. I've noticed you mentioned hard work. And I've tried to hire subcontractors to help me with projects. You know, so many entrepreneurs talk about how, oh, outsource this to someone who can do it. And so you can go work on another project. And I've had such a hard time finding anyone who will work hard. And yeah. have you noticed that just with people in general, even just with their jobs, like what they're getting paid to do, that it just it's hard to find anyone that's working hard? It, it's interesting you say that. I've We redid our kitchen uh, a few years ago, and I had just a hard time getting a contractor to call me back. I mean, just just that, you know, just a just a follow up call from, hey, you know, so, uh, you know, you end up getting a few quotes and kind of going with the person who does follow up and shows up. And and yeah, you you, you see that a lot in the workplace. Um, I have a day job as, as well. And um, I've been in the sales consulting industry ever since I really got out of college. And uh, those of you who've done that or know someone who's in that industry, I mean, that, that's a hustling type industry, you know? You got to get used to hearing no a lot. You can't be afraid. You got to have thick shoulders and um, and, and you just got to have that motivation to get up and, and get moving every day because um, sales isn't just going to land on your lap. I mean, eventually it could, but it takes years of putting in the time and experience and getting your name out and getting your brand out there. And I think sometimes it's easy to, to want that right away and not realize, you know, all the hard work and dedication and the failures that went in to, to get to that point. I read your book, School of Grit, and I'll link to the book in the show notes because I think anyone who wants to be more disciplined or to set bigger goals or to challenge themselves or they just feel like they're in a rut or life's too easy or they want to reimagine their life, I would suggest the book. Um, but one thing you, you that really surprised me at the beginning, and, and this was when I was like, okay, this guy's for real, was you said, I'll go do, and I, is it, is, how do you pronounce the camp? Is it Kokoro? You got it. Yep. Kokoro camp. You would do the Kokoro camp if you were the number one salesperson in your entire company. Mm -hmm. That alone was like, okay, that's a pretty big goal. That's awesome to be number one. And I think it was out of hundreds, maybe 500 people. Mm -hmm. About 500. Then you said to your boss, I don't want any swag. I just want this thing paid for so I can actually go and do this. And I was like, not only did he set a lofty goal, but then he found a way to get his employer to support that goal. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. What was going through your mind to even set a goal like being number one? Did you really think you could do it? I Not only did I, I thought I could do it, and, and I had done it in the past in previous um, careers. I just kind of wired that way. Very, very competitive, whether it was sports work, whatever, uh, in, in sales and consulting, especially a larger company, you know, usually there's the stack rankings and you see where people ranked. Well, it's like, I don't want to be down towards the bottom. I want to be up towards the top, you know, and ultimately that's where you also tend to make the most compensation. So I, I wanted to find a way though, cause I knew, um, I knew this camp would be life changing and I just, I knew I had to do it. So I had to figure out how, and, and look, it's not cheap. I mean, it's, it's expensive. 
and it was going to take time away from my family as well. So I was trying to find a way to to please both sides, you know, please my wife and my kids because, hey, I'm going to have to start training a lot more than I am now. And then, you know, the amount of money it costs to do that camp, I mean, that's a family vacation. So I got to try to justify that. And I'll, yeah, I'll never forget, I was talking to my boss at the time, her name's Liz, and um, we, we were at, uh, we had these awards ceremonies once a year, big lavish events, super cool, and they're awarding top reps, and um, I wasn't uh, in the top 10 that particular year, I had a good year, but I just, I wasn't top 10, and they were giving them, you know, clothing, bottles of wine, a watch, whatever, like, yeah, it's nice. And I will never forget looking at my boss. I said, I'm winning that next year. But when I win it, I don't want to, I don't want that quote unquote stuff. I want an experience. I want an experience that's going to change me. And she's like, if you, number one, I'll get you whatever you want. And I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, make sure that uh, you make do on that promise. And sure enough, long, long story short, uh, ended up finishing number one and went across stage and I still have it. They presented me with a certificate that said, uh, you're going to Kokoro camp. And they showed a video of it because no one knew what it was. They're like Kokoro, like a, a, I don't know how to pronounce it and B, what does that even mean? And when people saw that it was a camp put on by Navy SEALs, uh, for, you know, civilians or people looking to get to get into spec ops, they're like, Whoa, you want to go do that? Like, why do you, would you want to do something like that? Which, it's a whole nother conversation. So, and to talk about it a little more, it's is it fifty straight hours with no sleep of just torturous physical, mental, spiritual ambushes, completely built, designed to break you and make you quit. But then you don't quit and you get through and you're a new person. <laughs> you pretty much summed it up there, James. Yeah, that's exactly Maybe what it is. Maybe we should put that on the uh, advertising forum. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I'm going to have to write that down when I when I get the recording because you said it uh, better than I think I could articulate it. Yeah, it's designed after, <clears throat> excuse me, Hell Week, which some of your uh, listeners might not know what that is. So Navy SEALs go through a training called BUDS. BUDS stands for Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL. And part of that six-month training is one week of Hell Week. And I think they're up nonstop or maybe get at most like three to four hours sleep for six days. And it's like, could you imagine doing that? I remember watching this stuff on TV thinking, oh, my God, could I even – how are these people doing it? So um, this experience, Kokoro Camp, is, I'll say, loosely based on that because, A, I don't want to be a SEAL. Um, I just – I'm too old to do it, and and quite frankly, I'm let someone else do it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that job. But I respect the hell out of uh, people in the spec ox community and just what they, what they have to push themselves through. And and you hit that point right there, James. When you push yourself beyond everything imaginable, mentally, physically, emotionally, it's like what comes out the other side. You might not even know who you are anymore. And that's what happened to me. I feel like I was really reborn after that experience. And then. How I'm going back to rankings for a second. I think it's pretty easy when you work for other people, especially in a sales role where it's either closed to sale or you didn't. But have you ever done as a competitive guy rankings or stats or anything for things in your personal life, like loving your wife or being a great dad or that type of stuff? Like, I'm super curious. I'm really competitive also against other people. I really struggle to compete against myself though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think kind of what you're hitting there is balance. Like how would you, so cool. You're great at work. Well, 
are you a complete train wreck with your kids or your wife or because let's face it i mean you everybody has 24 hours it's what are you doing with that and how much time are you spending in different areas i think it's a constant ebb and flow you'll probably have seasons of it and what i mean by that is you might have a season where you're just you know you're you're burning the midnight oil so to speak at work and you're not around as much but then hopefully you're able to shift gears and then um that ratio becomes spending more time with your family your kids and a little bit less at work and it's a great question no i have not done my own stack ranking per se i probably should in those particular areas because that sounds like a really cool exercise and if you haven't uh you haven't, if you haven't branded that one, James, I would encourage you to because uh, I think some people would sign up for that. Well, I need someone to show me how it's done first because it's really hard to know uh, if you're being a great husband. And I don't have kids yet, but plan to. And I uh, love talking with gentlemen like you that focus on family because I think it's so important. I know in business, if you're deliberate, you're successful Mm -hmm. and it's the same at home but sometimes it's not as easy to know like what are those rocks that you have to do to to achieve success yeah i think with kids it's uh it's pretty easy with kids and i hey i'm no expert on kids but this is this is what i think and uh kids spell love t-i-m-e just spend time with them they don't care what it is for the most part they might when they get older and they're teenagers and whatever but especially when they're young they'll remember if you were around they won't might not they might not remember exactly what you guys were doing but they'll remember if you're around so i think it's just spending time with them and then with your spouse that can be a little bit different Uh, obviously time helps i encourage people who are like we've been we're going on 17 years of marriage so like it's still important as ever to date your wife and try to schedule in those date nights and I read a really good book a while back. Um, I think the la- author's last name was Chapman. Was it um, the Love Languages? Five Love oh, Languages. Oh yeah, uh, Gary Gary Chapman. Yeah, Gary Chapman. Yeah, awesome book. Just to kind of realize, like, hey, I my love language is maybe um, you know quality time, whereas my wife might be gifts. So you know, I just I know, and, and it's not. I'm just I'm just coming up with that one. I was really lucky when, so Gary Chapman's book has been a New York Times bestseller basically longer than any other book to my knowledge. And there's still people I meet all the time that haven't ever even heard of it, which is crazy because mm-hmm. it shows you how um, how many people there are in this country, right? Oh, but crazy. The, the book talks about the different love languages. And here's what I think is the most important premise. Your love language may not be your wife's. So if yours is quality time and you're giving her all this undivided attention and you think, oh, this should be filling her up, but hers is actually words of affirmation and you don't ever tell her how beautiful she is or how grateful you are for what she's doing, you're not going to fill her up in the same way. And it's so counterintuitive because typically we just do what we like. Exactly. Um, I'm blessed that my wife and I have the same love language, so it's really easy for us to fill up what I call our love buckets. It's like, okay, we put down our phones. And we go take a walk, mm-hmm. hold hands and talk, and bam, we're both like really happy. And so I'm lucky in that way. What What's yours? What's your, what are your love languages? Uh, very similar. I'd, I'd say uh, time. Yeah, spending that time together. And then maybe she, she likes acts of service too. So, you know, she, she just loves, she's a teacher. So if she comes home 
and uh, the dishes are done. There's not a lot of laundry. The house isn't a wreck. Like that's that's huge. That's like super sexy to her. And then um, with spending time with her, we're fortunate because we only li- we li- I live pretty close to where she teaches. So a lot of times um, she's able to. Um, and she's an instructional coach, so she doesn't like have a, her own classroom, but she coaches other other teachers. So I'm able to meet her for lunch a lot of times throughout the week, and we'll go walk a couple miles, you know, around her school, and it helps her. And man, um, I'm just a sounding board because I'll be like, "Hey, honey, how was your day?" And it's she's talking for 30 minutes, you know, and I'm just <laughs> I'm just listening and you know getting to spend time with her. But I love that I love that precious time we get to spend together. That's really cool that you do that in the middle of the day because. If you didn't do that, she'd basically be bringing that home with the kids and not be able like she needs that sounding board and that debrief. And you don't really want to bring that home. You want to come home and be like ready to be present with the family. So I think that's a really good tactic, I would say, for someone that's got a job that's stressful. Teaching's a stressful job. People that are in healthcare, it's a stressful job. Mm -hmm. And we constantly need new tactics to like unwind and like I almost call it like building hedges around those parts of our day so we don't bring them into the other parts of our day mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's it's spot on and hey I wasn't always like that either I mean when I when I first was starting off in in my uh, particular industry of choice it was I was you know by design I was like well I'm gonna go chase money you know right or wrong it's just that's what was that's the carrot that, I, that was dangled in front of me. So that meant working long hours. I'd be gone out of the house before my wife would wake up a lot of times. When I'd get home, it'd be dark. And then I'd just, man, I'd bring, I'd bring work home with me. And, and uh, it wasn't good, you know? It wasn't good. So, yeah, to your point, we need, uh, we need that deep, debrief time. It's super important. Try to take that uniform off, you know, before you, before you walk in into your house. So my wife, before last almost a year ago she she quit her career a year ago and came home and, and started working in our businesses but she was actually the executive director of a 105 bed nursing home assisted living and memory care and it was a crazy job i mean mm-hmm. people would die people would get sick employees wouldn't show up you know you'd have to counsel people i mean it was insane we could have a whole podcast on that but what we did was never brought that up into the house we had a screened in porch I'd usually get some hors d'oeuvres or some wine ready because I was working from home. I'd go down onto the porch, have it there. She'd get home. We'd have 15 minutes sitting down there, and then we could safely go up into the house like after that that safe zone. But then it wasn't like the entire night because you need the debrief, but you don't want it to be your entire life right? either. Right. I love that, though, man. That's so cool. You did it like on the screen and porch and had the wine and hors d'oeuvres. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, happy hour. Um, but you mentioned <laughs> time with kids. And I think this is a point that's really important to hammer home. You, you, you talked about how important time is to them, but if you're chasing money and you're away and you're working, you, those two don't go hand in hand, really. So you can buy them cool toys and nice trips, but you said time is key. So what does it take to, what does it take to figure that out earlier before you, before your kids are 18 and then there is no more time to spend time with them. Oh man, this is, uh, I'll tell you where my mind went right there was this needs to start. I would say in your twenties, you know, going back to like society 
being being soft. If you look at other cultures, let's take like Europe for instance, they're they're encouraged to travel and go experience the world in their twenties, and then try to find, you know, your career or, or whatnot. And I think here, at least this is the way it was when when I grew up, it was very much, hey, you, you know, you you go to college and then you get that job and you work at that job for the next you know forty years and contribute to a four hundred one k, and it's like, where during that did I actually take time to figure out like what am I passionate about? What do I think my purpose is here on earth? This limited amount of time that I'm here, like, what am I here to do? Am I really here to, to sell this product (laughs) or is that just a means to an end and my purpose is greater and I need to try to find a way, um, to, to find it. So I I've been there. I I've absolutely been there where, you know, you, you've got to put in that time at the, at the job to bring in that income, but it's a catch-22 because that means you're away from the family. And I would say to someone, you know, you got to take steri- serious stock of um, what's the family's goals, not just your goals, because you might think it's providing them with nice stuff. Whereas that they might just be like, hey, we'll take a little less of a house. I don't care about having this awesome car and all this crap, but we want you around. So it's like, oh, maybe I need to make some major shifts in my life and, and, and look for some sort of uh, you know, alternate career plan, let's say, and ultimately something that aligns with, with your passions. And I will say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been bashing society a little bit and calling it soft, but with technology has some, come some really nice things. Like for one, we're able to do this interview over, over uh, video, which is awesome. But work now is very much hybrid and work from home, which is great for spending time with, with the family. Because uh, I've worked at home, I've worked from home since 2004, so I, I've been doing this for a while, and I, I could imagine going back to to an office type environment and having to commute and put on dress clothes all the time and all that craziness. The um, I'm gonna we'll talk about working from home because I'd love to get some tips from a seasoned expert mm-hmm. on uh, getting work done from home because it's not always easy. But going back to the the time with kids, I just. Re- was reminded of a story where this little boy went to his dad and was like, dad, you know, how much do you make per hour? And the dad was like, why are you asking me that? And he's like, Oh, I just, you know, want to know. He thought like the kid was going to want to ask for some money or something. Mm-hmm. And the dad's like, well, I make, well, I don't know, $350 an hour. And the kid's like, okay. And then he walks away like all sad looking. And that's like, I don't know what that's about. Kid comes back with his piggy bank and says, I, I just barely have enough I'd really love an hour to buy an hour of your time to just play catch in the yard. Oh man. And dad like cry, like just breaks down. He's like, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing all of this? Like, yep. and, um, and that's it right there. You know, great, great example. How do you have those con- Can you have those conversations with an eight year old or an 11 year old? Like, what do you really want? Like, as far as like from you as a father, I think you can. Yeah, they're tracking uh, even at an early age. I mean, they they observe. They know what's going on. Um, if you think they don't, you're you're lying. Um, or you're you're telling yourself a lie. And uh, especially with again technology, and they have their they have their electronics. Let's say, and we we try to really monitor how much time they spend on them. But I mean, I'll be honest with you, when when they're on, like I don't know exactly everywhere they're going and whatnot. So I, I, I'm of the opinion and hopefully I, I, 
I would think any parent would resonate with this. I, I want them to hear it from me first before they go find it online or find out from a friend. So yeah, I would make it a policy to have those types of discussions with your kids regularly. You could call them <clears throat> like family board meetings, whatever you want to do. Uh, do it over dinner. I know, I know a lot of families, unfortunately, they, they might not be able to eat dinner together, but we still do. And I'm not planning on taking that away anytime soon, just trying to find a way just to break bread together. And that's usually when those natural conversations come up or doing stuff together as a family, whether it's just going for a walk, bike ride, you know, whatever, it's going to lead itself to those opportunities to have um, those types of like life type questions. But I think the more that you can do of that, the, the better. And don't be afraid of, of what they might say. Yeah. So you did the Kokoro camp. Were you in your late 30s? 35. Yep, I was 35 when I went there. Okay. Yeah, I'm 42 so, right now. Did you have some kind of a crisis after you did that of like, why, what am I doing, purpose, anything like that? Like, did it jolt you in some way? <clears throat> yeah, afterwards? Yeah. Yes. So great question. When I secured that camp, there was about 50 of us that went through. I was one of the oldest I had, um, I have gray hair, as you can see. It wasn't as gray back then, but I still had it, and they were calling me Grandpa. <laughs> oh, man. Age 35, yeah, it was it was relentless. You mean Grandpa, the guy wearing two rucks for That's the other right. guys, is the Grandpa? I mean, That's, I'll take that title then. <laughs> you got it. You got it, man. Yeah, so um, this I think this happens a lot. You may have gone through this too, potentially, because I know you've run some marathons. We were talking about it before the call. But you dedicate a portion of your life to something, whatever that big goal is. And we're using Kokoro as this experience. And then you accomplish it. There's this, um, arrival fallacy that happens. And if it's, if, if it's physical for me, that meant I was tip top physical shape. I was optimal. Like, I don't think I could have trained any harder. Well, when you're operating that high, there's always going to be a lull. You're always going to drop down a few pegs and it can get a little, depressing because a lot of it's around, well, what's my next, what's the next goal? What's the next mission? What am I going to do now? And, uh, Mark Devine who puts on Kokoro camp, he's a former Navy SEAL and, and wrote the, uh, forward to my book. He, um, he said two words to me and my class that just shattered me. And I couldn't answer that for a long time. So think about it, just to put yourself into perspective, you've gone through this 50 plus hour crucible, right? You've been pushed mentally, physically, emotionally, you've been pushed to tears, you've hallucinated, you've pushed your body and your teammates farther than anything possible. And you make it, you make it through and just the joy at the end. And then we're going through our own little debrief and, and Mark says, um, what's next? What's next? Those were the two magic words. And I thought, Man, what's what are you talking about, dude? I just this is it. This is the this is the pinnacle for me. And if you've ever taken like martial arts, for instance, like if you get a black belt, that's really just the beginning. It opens itself up to a whole new world, and that's what I experienced was what do I want to do with myself? How do I how do I take this feeling that I have right now and let others experiencing experience it something similar without having to go through Kokoro camp, but maybe they can go through their own school of grid or their own type of camp or, 
or whatever. So yeah, that's that's really what that uh, got the wheels turning for me on how I wanted to give back, how I wanted to serve, how you know what my purpose was going to be. It, it it really helped going through that experience. Really helped me get pretty crystal clear on uh, what I felt like I was here to do with my life. Which is what? Which is, uh, I like to say, my purpose is mastering myself so I can serve others with teaching, coaching, and facilitation. So um, I do that through uh, School of Grit. So School of Grit's a book, like we've talked about, but it's also a, uh, it's a, it's a tribe, it's coaching, it's all that stuff. So I get to work with clients like all over the world and, and really help them optimize their life and, and reach their full potential. So the, um, the School of Grit is, do you put on events and things like this to, to sort of like Kokoro or challenges or how do people get a taste of what you went through without having to go endure that themselves? Yeah, so we are going to put on our first event um, next. We're shooting for next fall. So it's going to be in, in my, I live in Indiana, so it'll be in my backyard. It won't be like Kokoro where it's just quote unquote like basically like an ass kicking adventure for 50 hours there will be elements of physical training yes but what i'm envisioning is putting people into certain scenarios where they have to deal with fear and we get to teach them those tools those tactics on how to manage their mind you know um how to grow their mental toughness emotional resiliency so one could be uh you know repelling from an 80-foot tower let's say like okay who's got a fear of heights i have a fear of heights but I make myself do that type of stuff so I can get over that fear. So we'll have a little bit of classroom and this will be taught by, you know, a master cadre and then we'll go repel an 80 foot tower. So it'll be stuff like that. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's forthcoming. And then we also um, have a partnership with uh, Seal Fit who, who put on uh, Kokoro Camp. They, they have three, three courses a year. So, yeah, I can take um, – I can take members from my community, go with them. I could actually go through that experience with them or just be there and support them as well. Okay. So there is that opportunity. That sounds pretty neat. It's fun. I, I went back as um, basically like an intern last summer for Kokoro Camp and and got to do that and, and knew one of the people going through. Shout out to uh, Jonathan Burton who, who secured. But it was just so cool to – to see it from the other the other side. What did it look like from the other side? Did you did it seem as challenging when you're not in it like that you know that it, you can it's possible to survive or like what did it look like from the other side? It was it was amazing because I got to see just how professional of a setup it was and how how much detail went into like every little piece from like hey, where's people going to pick up their gear to like you know, I wasn't thinking about medical as a participant, but that's the first thing you really talk about is safety and what happens if there's a medical situation and, and you know, what are the different routes to get out of these locations in case, uh, you know, you know what hits the fan and yeah, all that good stuff. So that, that was really eye opening, just the level of detail, just the professionalism and then just the master, uh, master cadre that I got to, to work with just a handful of seals that were just so awesome to work with and, and may, after go through i was like damn i sh maybe i should have like gone after this or something <laughs> back in the day when you read the book and you're going through just 
hour by hour, minute by minute of you going through Kokoro camp, it feels like they're just making it up as they go as a participant. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like from the other side, you're like, oh, wow, this is all like completely planned out. It's There's no guesswork here. Yeah, there's no guesswork. Uh, every hour is planned out. However, uh, you know, if things happen, they can shift fire. They can move to other uh, evolutions as they're as they're referred to. But yeah, it's it's all planned out. Absolutely. I couldn't believe when you splashed mud on one of the instructor's boots and <laughs> you're like, oh no, what am I what did I just unleash upon myself? And it was hilarious because only a hundred pages earlier, you're like trying really hard not to stand out and not have ever have them look at you. Yep. But then halfway through, you're like, okay, they're going to look at me no matter what I do. Like, there's no way to not get the attention. Like, it's going to come eventually. It's almost better to get it over with early. <laughs> it almost is. And, um, yeah, but that, that was funny. That took me back. I specifically remember getting mud on, on this seal's boots. And, and this dude was just scared. One of those guys, he had a bald head, uh, just had that 10-mile stare, you know, when he was looking at you. And I, man, I thought I was done. I literally, I told myself, I was like, I will lick the mud off these boots if he tells me to. Because I'm just in this primal state, right? It's survival mode. Thank God he didn't tell me to. But I was prepared to. The So you started off with the Angela Duckworth TED Talk and the grit score. And you had a pretty low grit score when you started this, which... It's surprising me because as an mm-hmm. achiever, having just become, for not the first time, the number one salesperson in the entire company, that is not an easy thing to do. Like You clearly would have grit. Did you take that score since then, and like what, what's it look like now? I have. So I think, um, sorry, I've got some Kleenex on my mustache. So if you see that on video, that's what I'm doing. I'm not picking my nose. I'm getting this Kleenex off my, <laughs> my mustache <laughs> for the listeners out there. Yeah. So I think I had like a 2.2 or a 2.3 was my score. You could take that test right now, by the way. So you could, you could go to her website. It's only 10 questions. Yeah. I'm going to link it in the show notes. I cool. did it when I was reading the book. And, oh, right on. Um, I had a high score. I had a 4.3, but I feel I always feel like I'm an underachiever like I never feel like I'm doing enough so I'm like how can I be a high score here but still not feel like I'm working hard enough and that could just be the way you're wired right that's that's your mentality like always thinking you can do more and and stuff and I think it kind of stems back to the original or one of the questions you had about an assessment for all areas of your life so yes at that time work-wise very gritty but outside of that like I'd say with family and whatnot probably not nearly as much and that's what brought my score down because a lot of those questions were also geared towards um, do you see things through long-term goals or do you kind of go after the next shiny object and I very much was going after the next shiny I'd start a project and I could just look around my house I had so <laughs> many projects that I had started and I like never finished I was like yeah it's not very good but the competitiveness in me um is is what got me going because I was like well this isn't good I want to I want to improve this especially if grit is you know one of the number one indicators and predictors of success in life like who doesn't want to be successful so how do I get more grit? And um, yeah, I bought Angela's book, read it frontwards to backwards, and that's what kind of set me on my path. I have since taken it. I think I scored in the fours. So um, 
yeah, I feel good with that. But there's always improvement. There's always things you can be doing. Have you gotten better at saying no to things or not even starting things that you know you won't be able to finish? Yes, that's a great question. This comes up in coaching all the time because I think uh, people tend to be people pleasers, which means you're going to say yes a lot, and you got to learn to say no. Again, we only have so much time, so you really once you figure out what you think your path is, it becomes easier. It really does. So if things don't fit inside of uh, you know what I think I'm supposed to be doing with my life, I'm gonna I'm gonna politely say no. Not that um, I don't want to do it or it doesn't sound cool, but I've only got so much time. So maybe I'll do it later. And there's an exercise I like to take people through um, to do that. So if you if it's called the fits fits model and uh, F I T S. So F is does it fit? Does it fit your your purpose, your passion, which we just talked about? I is uh, how important is it? Like, is this super important? I got to do it right now, or can this wait till later? Uh, T is uh, where where usually when people say no, it's because of this. It's timing. Timing. It just, it's wrong timing. Like for me, yeah, I wanted to do an audio book. I didn't have the time. So I'm doing it next year. I'm not saying I'm not ever going to do it, but I'm just going to do it next year. And then the S is simple. Like, can you break that goal? Can you break that task down into simple, manageable tasks, tasks and execute? Because if you can't, then it's very convoluted and it's going to be very hard to get it done. That's really cool because it's so easy. If you're an achiever or a competitive person or a people pleaser, your default is to just say yes. And you're like, I'll figure it out. And you probably will. But what are you going to sacrifice somewhere else to make that yes happen? I see this a lot too in, in my particular industry of sales because people are eager to get that sale. So they're going to tell the customer yes to like everything. Whereas it's like, well, I'm not afraid to say no. Like, if I, like, especially if I don't have the answer, I'll say, well, I, I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll get back to you. Like, I'd rather do that than tell them yes or tell them erroneous information. And now you, you could get yourself into some trouble. I, I learned that one big time. I was in medical sales for a while and you, you couldn't, you couldn't make stuff up. I mean, if a doctor is asking you if a device does this and you tell them it does and it doesn't, I mean, you could literally end the life of a patient. I feel like, I and I was in sales for a long time, and I actually think as a shopper, as a consumer, someone telling me they don't know actually gives them so much more credibility of everything else they told me. Mm -hmm. Where if they're just one of those have an answer for everything people, and I can there's no way you have an answer for everything. Like you've got to, you can't. And so they're like, Oh, I don't know that, but let me look it up. I go, okay, I trust this person now right. because that means everything else they just told me was true. Yep. Love it. And it's the same thing as parenting too. Like your kids are probably going to expect you to know everything. I've told them like, Hey, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'll do some research. I'll ask around and I'll figure this out. You know, is that why parents get so frustrated when kids say, well, why? Well, why? And, you know, kids can ask why. Why is the sky blue? Oh, because of the water particles. Oh, well, why? And then it's like, okay, I'm not a whatever. I don't even know what field that I, would be. I don't either. Um, <laughs> I don't. And they're like, they're like, stop asking me questions. And then, like, kids are like, okay, I just won't ask you questions anymore. And then, like you said earlier, they're going to, if they have a question, they're going to get it answered. They're going to go, it may, and if it's not you, 
you no longer have control over how it's delivered or when it's delivered or when it's the right time to be delivered or yep. or whatnot. So <laughs> yeah, uh, parents are starting to lose that um, with going back to technology because it's like kids have devices. So instead of asking the parent, they're just going to go on Google or ask Alexa. You know, uh, they're trying to find the answers that way. So going back to yes, have those conversations with your kids early and often. The um. So the the grit score going changing your mindset. Um, one thing that I noticed pretty clearly, and this is a this is a place I struggle. So I'm hoping you can help me. Was it seemed like at first through the Kokoro camp, and we keep going back to this because that's what the book was really about was going through this journey there. Um, but at first, it was like an individual sport. It felt like everyone there was just alone. Mm-hmm. But then it seemed like that first night, it started to be a team sport. And people actually started needing to help each other. And you needed someone to help you. But like, if you're a high performer, a lot of times you don't like to ask for help because it's like a weakness. Like, oh, I need help. So how do you, like, how do you without going through that camp, sorry, there's, uh, there's jets flying over. <laughs> I thought I heard something <laughs> so i live right next to a, a marine corps air station so the f-35s fly over at like a couple hundred feet it's it's pretty neat actually that is cool. <laughs> um but the how do you so back to to my question is how do you ask for help if you're someone who doesn't like to ask for help uh i'm reminded of something i learned at coro camp it's it's a motto that i try to live my life by and that is check your ego at the door. You're not going to have all the answers. In fact, I'm a, I'm a believer when you ask for help, that's a good thing because typically people like helping other people out. So by you asking for help, that opens yourself up, makes you look a little bit more authentic, especially as a leader. And that also gives the opportunity for someone else to 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 help you, to support you. And that, that helps them out. So... Um, life is not an individual sport. I think this whole idea of, um, you know, self-made is just complete BS. Someone's had help at some point. You just got to have the courage to ask. I think sometimes there's a little bit of fear, like, well, what what are they going to say? Or, you know, what are they going to think if I don't know the answer to this? And you'll find the more you start opening yourself up, it's, it's not that scary. And, um, it's, 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 it's a good thing. It's absolutely a good thing. It shouldn't be a weakness of mine because I have a podcast and for an hour to 90 minutes, I just ask people questions all the time, usually telling them problems in my life and trying to get answers. But for some reason in my work, it's like, well, let me put my head down and just figure it out on my own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to have, you may have them, uh, like mentors, someone you can go to that's doing your job or, or someone you look up to. I mean, that that's super important to have that small like board of like, let's say trusted advisors that you can bounce, bounce ideas off of. I do. Hmm. And that, that helps a lot. Yeah. I'm just a big proponent of, uh, of not trying not to go over, go through anything alone unless, unless you're just in a, like you're running a marathon. I mean, that pretty much is you running, but you can have a support crew. You know what I mean? That's true. Um, using that as an analogy. Yeah, when I was with you in the book, when you mentioned your legs were freezing up, Mm -hmm. you barely could walk, and you like started praying. 
<laughs> and like you hadn't prayed in a long time, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And you're like, God, just like help me get through this. I need your help. Like heal me. Like you're, I'm desperate. Like I'm coming to you. When I was on the Chicago Marathon, that was like basically every mile. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why I signed up for this. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm such a poser. I didn't train hard enough. I'm never like, I'm not going to quit. So somehow I got to get through this finish line. And I'm like, but man, it'd be so easy to quit. Like I see these tents over here. There's people getting in golf carts and they're riding them back to the front. They've got like a Gatorade. They got their feet laid up. I'm like, man, that looks pretty nice. I'm like, why am I even running this? Like I already proved I'm really tough. Like, do I need to finish? Like that was all going through my head every mile. And it was the worst thing to have on surround sound. <laughs> it's it that that's bad. Yeah, when you get that uh that internal chatter and and uh, and not knowing why you're doing something. I mean, it really does um, start there. I know we we were talking about this guy earlier, David Goggins. His book can't hurt me. You know, he was big on that in his book, answering that question. You know, why? Why am I doing this? Why am I pushing myself so hard? Because if you can't if you can't answer that, or you have a hard time answering it, why you're comfortable when you're extremely uncomfortable and you're tired, you're cold, your muscles are aching, you're hungry, whatever. It's like, good luck searching for that little piece of uh, motivation to get you through. That's true. Yeah. The, I did have a purpose and it was, I had raised money to do this run for world fishing. And that's, that was the, counter argument to my weakness in my brain because my brain kept saying quit Mm -hmm. my brain kept saying your legs are tired it kept saying hey you've done enough you've made these people proud but then my heart kept saying no you're doing this for these kids this isn't even about you and so i got to a point where if it was about me i would have quit because it was about those kids i couldn't quit (laughs) that's that's it that's it right there i mean you had a clear why to to help you through and you know that's something you can carry on as an analogy in life, you know, ask yourself, you know, why are you doing, like, why do you work where you work? Let's start there with work or, you know, why are you married to so-and-so or you, you really get deep and ask yourself why was it three to five times and you, you'll usually get to the root of the real reason. But if you, if you find yourself to where man, it's, it's unclear, I'm not too sure why. All right. Maybe you need to reevaluate the situation uh, so you can get clear. Or if it's a race and you don't say no, say, you know what? Ah, the timing's off. I'll do it. Uh, do it some other time. <laughs> Can you quit something you already started or you committed to? Like if it, you're realizing it's not really going to help you or it's just the wrong thing now or you, it's hurting another thing you're doing. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's totally okay to to quit things because there's a difference between quitting and giving up. So what's the difference? Because that... That's pretty, that's unique. Yep. So uh, to me, giving up is worse because you're giving up on that dream, um, wh- whatever it is. You, it's, it's backed by a strong why, going back to the why thing. Like you have a reason you're doing something. This is, you're super clear. This is why I'm doing it. Well, am I going to quit it? No, I'm not. I'm I'm not going to quit it and I'm not going to give up. So I think I think giving up is uh it, it, that's that's what you don't want to do. Quitting. I've quit lots of stuff in my life. Why? Because it just didn't fit anymore. 
maybe it did at one time, but you know, I've evolved or the situation has changed. And it's like, this just doesn't make sense anymore. I need to pivot and, and make another change. So yeah, I think that's a big distinction there. There's to me, there's a huge difference between quitting and giving up, giving up's more, um, backed by purpose and, you know, what you think you're really here to do by or, or, or do in this world. And then quitting it's, I mean, think about, um, how many decisions you make a day and how many things you're involved in going back to the time. You just, you don't have enough time to do everything. So you're, you're going to have to say no to stuff. You're going to have to quit things and pivot into something else. Cause a lot of times if you didn't quit that one thing and reinvent yourself over here, you, you'd never be where you are today. That's true in my life. 100%. But I feel like there's this idea that quitting's wrong. Like you should never quit anything. Like you always got to see it through to the end. And I think that's what's causing a lot of people to be in a job they don't like for 50 years. <laughs> because yeah. like, well, my dad told me I can't quit. Quitting's bad. And so I guess I'll just keep doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah, I was raised that way. I mean, my dad was uh, pretty fortunate. And I think he's only worked for two or three companies like his whole career. And he's been working like 45 years. Um Whereas, you know, my generation, it's, it's, it's definitely okay to go somewhere, be there a year and say, you know what, this, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. I'm going to, life's too short. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do something else. And that's totally okay. Why? Because that's a J-O-B, man. That's a job. That's something that, you know, provides income. There's lots of jobs out there. However, if this was something you were super passionate about and it was, aligned with your purpose, I don't think you realistically, that that's where the mental toughness piece and it's like, nope, I'm not backing down because you're still going to hit walls. You're still going to hit those speed bumps, but you'll find a way. If it means enough to you, you're going to find a way to know, to go around it, go through it or, or blow it up. I think that this is a topic you should just absolutely run with quitting versus giving up because I think people need it. And I don't think people know that distinction. I've never heard that distinction before. And it's super clear to me because things I've quit because they were hard, that was giving up. It wasn't mm -hmm. quitting, actually. That was giving up. Mm -hmm. It's completely different than if I have a reoccurring meeting on Tuesday afternoons that's just not necessary. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, guys, I can't do this anymore. Sorry, other things right. have come up. Like, that's not giving up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I've, I've joined... I've joined uh... I'm a big proponent of joining like different accountability groups and masterminds, whatever you want to call them. And I've quit some of those along the way, not because it was anything they did. It's just, I was at a different point in life and I, I needed more bandwidth to enable me to get other things done that I valued more. Yeah. There, there's, um, there's a book called dream big by Bob Goff and he has this routine an inspection point throughout his week Every Thursday, he examines what he did the prior week and determines if there's something he needs to quit mm. every single week. And it's not from an, and, and, he, and he frames it from a positive point of view. He quits those things, even though everyone's told quitting's bad. So he has room to say yes to things that actually matter. And if Love you it. don't quit those things, you won't have time to actually do what you really need to be doing because you're too busy just like, you're right. You know, you talk a ton about fear and it's, what is it really? The reason you don't want to quit is because you're afraid you're going to hurt their feelings. Probably. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
It's the ultimate F word. <laughs> yeah, fear fear has that element is it's it's almost in every decision you make. I mean, if you think back, especially the major decisions like moving to a new home or asking whoever out on a date or you know, asking for a promotion, like there's fear associated with that. But the cool thing about fear is I don't think fear can exist. I'm sorry, let me back up. I don't think courage can exist without fear. So the two are the two are can in hand. So if I'm fearful of something, cool, right on. I, I have the opportunity to show courage. So those who are the most fearful have the opportunity to show the most courage. That's something I've been trying to teach my son. He's eight. He just started playing tackle football. And, uh, you know, he first year, he, you know, he's kind of lost out there right now. And I, I give him all the credit for suiting up and getting out there. But he's still a little gun shy with getting hit. And I'm like, hey. I'd be nervous too, man. I'd have some fear, but man, this opportunity to show courage and all that. So he's eight. We'll see. We'll see if he gets it. But um, but to your, you know, I do a hundred percent believe in that. Just the fear and courage dichotomy. You know, another link, and I love that one that I've heard before is fear can actually sort of sometimes be a barometer or an indicator in the direction you should go, which is completely counterintuitive. I think it maybe it was uh, Stephen Pressfield in like he wrote books War on Art or the War of Art mm-hmm. and uh, Do the Work maybe was another one of his and his thing is like oh you have you have fear well that's actually the lane you're probably supposed to be driving in because if you aren't afraid then it's not really going to benefit you in any way. It's getting you out of your comfort zone, yeah. Which you know comfort I believe is a, is a slow death in a lot of in a lot of ways and and yeah if, if something scares you like for instance public speaking still a huge fear for a lot of people i enjoy doing it but i still get the nerves and all that but i know it's going to make me better and i've got a message to deliver and my why is hopefully that message helps people out so i'm going to do that i'm going to put myself in that position where i can take advantage of that type of stuff does have you brought your family into this fear, growth mindset, embracing the suck sort of deal in some way? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. They, they they train with me. That's how, you know, that's one way we, we try to work on this stuff together. I'm fortunate. I've got a um, this makeshift garage gym. So we could just go right out there and, you know, go get it on, whether it's pull-ups or barbell work or, or whatever. So, yeah, I'm just a big proponent of – putting in that hard work, you know, getting a nice sweat, man, if you can do that together as a family, that is just, that's just it for me, man. That That's my euphoria is, is working out together. And my hope is it's building uh, my kids into, uh, to be tougher. It takes time, but my goal is to get, anytime I work out, I kind of want to get to that point where I want to quit or just slow up. Cause that's where that inner dialogue starts popping in and you can, you can, um, you can defeat it. You can start flexing that muscle. Do you have anything big on the calendar, like a larger event that you're training for or looking forward towards? Or Funny like you that? mention that. So I, am getting ready to come up with the official announcement. Actually something just went out on social media, I think Tuesday. But I'm calling it the long walk. I actually write about it a little bit. It was one of the things I did for training for Kokoro Camp. But uh, it's called the long walk. It's going to take place October 1st. 
details to come. Uh, it's free to participate. I, I encourage everyone to, to join in if they can. And the idea is simple. I can assure you it's not, but you're going to walk. Now, just about everybody can walk, right? You're going to walk for 24 hours. So it's a 24-hour walk. And every hour on the hour, you're going to walk for 50 minutes, and then you're going to rest for 10 minutes. So that's it. Pretty simple. Um, you can... You know, you could do this with a, a pack on if you want and take all your food or stuff. Uh, me, because I have a family, I'm probably going to walk around my neighborhood a lot just so I could check in um, with my house. But my, my wife's going to join me. My kids are going to join me for some of that time. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's something big we got on the horizon. October 1st, walk for 24 hours straight with only 10-minute breaks on each hour. On each hour. And can you sit down in those 10 minutes? You can do whatever you want. You can go to sleep if you want. That's your 10 minutes, but you got to get right back up. I'm trying to imagine how difficult that is. How diff- How hard is that? Like, is that? It's extremely difficult. Yeah, it's, it's very tough. It's, it's one of those things that sounds easy. Yeah, and you're going to, just like any other big goal or whatever, you're going to be super motivated, heck, probably for the first 12 hours. But then when it gets nighttime, especially if you're alone... It depends on the weather. It could be cold in October, depending where you live. That's that's where uh, that inner dialogue starts coming in. That's what I want people to to get in tune with is putting themselves in those uncomfortable situations and really listen to what your the voices in your head are telling you. You've done this before. Yeah, I did it once before to help train for Kokoro Camp. At what point did it get really hard? Probably, I was probably three quarters of the way in. Because your, your legs are just going to, I mean, that's a lot of walking. Even if it's walking, like walking still takes its toll. I mean, think about, you know, just walking for six hours. You're going to be tired. So well, times like that times the four. first 45 minutes of our conversation, I was just standing here. And then I just sat down in my chair. And yep. so I, 24 hours of walking, even with 10-minute breaks, it's going to start to add up. It, it takes its toll. It's just the sheer volume, you know, of the, of the steps. And you'll probably set a new record for yourself as far as steps in a day. So How many steps you do you think that would be? You know, I didn't have it back then. I wish I would have um, had this Garmin way back when when I when I first did that. But it, it's a lot. I, the closest thing I have to that was I did a – are you familiar with the company GoRuck? Yeah. I did their um, Star Course, which is super cool. It's 50 miles. You plan the route, and you have to get it done, I think, within 18 hours, something like that. But uh, my legs were completely blown up. You had to do it with a 20-pound pack and then, you know, like, all the water and food you'll need. Um, but I think I did something like 150,000 steps. Like, it was ridiculous, you know. It's one, it one of those things you see and you're like, yeah, I'm taking a picture of this. I'm, keep, I'm keeping a picture of this one. Yeah. My rough math, just quickly, was that it will probably be three to 400,000 steps. Yeah, I mean, just think about that. Like, take, take – And an uh, average person does, like – 5,000 steps a day. Right. So again, it's one of those things that reads easy, but I can assure you it's not. And, and it's going to be all uh, peaches and cream when you first start. And, and then you're going to be like, yeah, I can I can see where this is starting to get hard. Actually, what got me inspired a little bit was Goggins uh, 4x4x48 challenge, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but I did that for the first time this year with our uh, coaching tribe. We all did it together and checked in um online throughout it and man that was, that was a blast i just had so much fun and i was looking for i was like you know i want something that everybody can do just about unless someone's got a you know 
medical reason why they can't walk. But like, if you can walk, you can do this. You can That's what I like about it. It costs nothing. Nope. Except a day of your time. Just a day of your time. And is that, what day of the week is October 1st? You probably plan Saturday. It. Yep. There we go. It's Good. a Saturday. Yep. I mean, I'm interested in this idea, actually. I'm checking my calendar. Oh, man. I'm at a conference on October 1st. Come on. <laughs> what a bummer. I'll be walking. I will be walking for hours that day, but I'll be flying home that day, too. Oh, man. That sounded really cool. You, you'll know what's going on during that during that conference. Like, <laughs> I wonder how many hundred thousands of mile or uh, steps Brad's on now. <laughs> I'll make sure once uh, I'll, I'll find the information on this and put it in the show notes for this episode. So someone okay. listening that's looking for something to sign up for or do, they'll be able to do it because I one hundred percent think that this would work it's and it doesn't cost anything and if you love doing this anything do you find you get addicted to challenges you're like well what's the next thing like oh yeah something even harder yeah um i have to watch out with that (laughs) going to the 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 time balance because and 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 it's good at saying no to stuff because i get approached all the time like hey would you want to do this and i'm like dude this sounds amazing like there's just no way i could do this with my with my time schedule the way it is so i'm i'm pretty um, I have to be super selective on on what I pick, but yeah, I, I'm always looking for like the next the next thing. But I, and I I get asked a lot too, like, hey, would you ever do Kokoro Camp again? No, I would not do that camp again unless I had a reason to go, because I don't have a why. I don't have a reason to go. I did at that time, but I, going back to the why, like, if you can't answer it, I wouldn't suggest signing up. That's a because you pro, you might fail then if you're not going with a true why that thing's designed to get you out of there if you don't have a why it will find your weakness and shine a big fat floodlight on it and everybody's gonna know it and They're think about if it. you went a second time and dropped out the second time it would kill you oh mentally. I'd have to go I'd have to go back I'd be like oh gotta go back can't live with that exactly and it would make you question everything I really I really think it would. That's that's the whole name of the game. And do you one one thing that I'm curious, do you pull how can you tap into that Kokoro experience? Is that still the hardest thing you've ever done first of all? Yeah, I mean everything I've done other hard things, but just the totality of it, yes. That's that's definitely by which I measure everything now. I can always go back to that and be like, well, wasn't as bad as that. Because <laughs> I, when I was a kid, I, I got injured a lot. And I would always go like, well, it's not as bad as that one injury. And when I would do that, the pain would almost go away. Same mentality. Like anytime I'm on a, a run or whatever, I'm tired. I don't want to do this extra hour of work tonight. I'm like, eh, I've been a lot tired before. Come on, <laughs> su- suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. You know? I love that. It's, that's the importance of doing this. And we've covered so much good stuff here. And I really suggest if someone wants just a great story. And I feel like, you know, I, this is this might be kind of lame to admit, but when, you know, you got to the end there and it was like finally done, like I kind of got a little bit of a tear in my eye because I felt like I was there with you going through it the way you described it. It was unbelievable and before we were recording you mentioned how much you left out of there mm-hmm. and so i can't wait for you to do an audiobook 
and uh, get to hear some of that because I'm sure a lot of it will come up. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stories I just I couldn't keep in there because it just it, it got left on the uh, edit room floor, let's say. Yes. But yes. yeah, ab- absolutely, man. And I appreciate you saying that, James. That's awesome. So what um, what can we do to learn more about you or to, to grab this book or support what you're working on? And um, how can we find out about this long walk, too? By the way, um, did you ever read Stephen King's The Longest Walk? No, I have not. You it's, called should... the, it's called The Longest Walk? I'm pretty sure it's okay. called The Long Walk or The Longest Walk. Okay. You've got to read that book. I will. Um, it makes your 24-hour walk look like a cakewalk. Okay. And it was insane. Uh, the basically, I'll give you the the one sentence summary. It's like a Hunger Games, where there's a certain number of kids that do this, but when you stop walking for, I don't know, a couple seconds, you get a warning. When you and after a certain amount of time, the warning expires. But if you ever get three warnings, they shoot you. Oh wow! And there's it goes until there's only one person. There's that no, sounds there's amazing. There's only one winner. <laughs> that that sounds amazing. Insane book. <laughs> Insane book. Yeah, I can assure your your listeners we're not going to be doing that. I'm not going to be showing up and uh, having a warning <laughs> if you take a little bit longer than ten minutes. Uh, awesome though. I will absolutely check that out. Big fan of Stephen King and uh, his books and movies. So. Thank you for that. Yeah. So uh, where can we learn more about you and what you're working on next and anything else that you want to share with us before we disconnect? Yeah. If anyone wants to learn more, just go to my website. It's schoolofgrit.org. So it's not .com. I don't own that domain and I'm not going to pay for it. So it's schoolofgrit.org, O-R-G. You'll find all the different ways to connect with me on social media, stuff like that. In fact, uh, if you want to be part of my email list, there's a, a red button at the top click there. I'm going to give you a free ebook, which is super cool. So you can start reading School of Grit today and uh, enjoy my oh, wait, mailing your list. your book for free? Yeah. Yeah. I give that away for free, free ebook online. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. And then um, if they want the actual physical book, just go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that good, all the regular places. It's, it's stocked there. Yeah, awesome. but but yeah, part of what I'm trying to do is just get the message out, and I thought, well, what better way to do that in, than than uh, give them a, a free ebook? Okay. If, if if listeners like that, so. Where are you most active on social media? Uh, in- Instagram. I like Instagram, probably. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's my favorite too. Instagram. I use LinkedIn a lot for my day job too, so I'm on there as well. But yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely Instagram. Not on Twitter, not on TikTok. Um, I have a YouTube channel. It's very small right now, but yeah, mostly Instagram. I just like the short videos and putting just clips of just what I'm thinking or what have you. So that's what I'll be using to check in too. Uh, during the long walk, I'll be going on live. I'm going to try to go every hour. We'll see if that holds up, but just you a know, quick little check in. It might be kind of cool when your material for this is you could, you could bring – because on on Instagram Live you can bring other people into the live. Uh huh. It'd be kind of neat if you brought, like every hour, brought a different participant in somehow. That would be super and like, cool. Just hey, how's it going? Like, what are you dealing with? Like anything like that? I think that or like or even asking them like why they're do- like the stories of why they're doing this would probably be pretty awesome on its own right. That is a fantastic idea, and I'm literally writing that down as we speak because I am going to go on live, and that's a great option is just to bring other people in and, yeah, just hear their story, like what's going through your mind because we're all, 
we're all embracing the suck together. It's good to know you're not alone. I love this idea. And I'm so grateful to come and chat with you. And uh, this book was really neat. And it's gotten me wanting to find something to sign up for because I really haven't done a lot of challenging things in a while. And so I think I need, I think I need to get out of a, a funk in a way and, and, to, and do that. To me, it's the easiest way to do it is, is just sign up for something that's going to take you out of your comfort zone. Ideally, something that I refer to it as a school of grit as well. But find something that pushes you uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, because that's where the change happens. And I just I love that feeling. Like once a year, man, I want to be pushed. I want to get scared. I want to get to that point where it's like, ah, man, I just want to quit. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, James. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time. Thank you.